Welcome to the Out of Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. OutofLimitsRadio.com. I'm your host, Ryan. This is part three of our four-part series on the coming global economic collapse. It's going to feature an interview with an individual who experienced an economic collapse in Argentina back in 2001. He's going to share with you his experience and first-hand accounts so you can have an idea of what to expect. He's also going to give you some tips and advice about making preparations. We also have two other interviews with people who are going to provide you practical advice for how to get ready. Let us begin tonight's show. We are now going to play an interview with Mr. Fernando Aguirre. He is author of the book, Surviving the Economic Collapse, which is based on his first-hand experience of being in Argentina in 2001 when their economy collapsed. He'll explain how to survive, how to thrive, what life will be like, at least from a perspective of experience, something like this from a first-hand encounter. Let us begin the interview. Thank you very much. It's great being here talking with you. So you wrote this great book. I happen to have read it several times. Can you please explain to our audience in the, mo in the most simplistic way possible, if you can, what is an economic collapse or what was the economic collapse that you experienced in Argentina? Well, in Argentina, it was pretty similar to what's happening right now in, in Greece and like it happened in, in other parts of the world as well. Basically, when the country cannot pay back its, its debts and it loses credibility, it simply falls apart. As soon as people lose faith in, in the economy of a country, may it be for whatever reason, usually it's because of a, of a default like it happened in Argentina or like what, what we're seeing now in Greece. As soon as, as people lose faith in the country's economy, they start rushing to the banks, closing their accounts. When that happens, the whole system collapses like a house of cards. Okay, what do you mean that, that they lose faith in the system? Why would they lose faith in the system? And I, I'll bring up an example. There are people in any given country that provide a series of goods or services. They provide, they supply them, and then you have people that demand it. And... So you've got steady supply and demand. Why would that be disrupted? What is the, how does the economic collapse occur if there's still steady supply and steady right. demand? Right. The thing is the following one. We, we have an economy that no longer uses uh, a form of currency that has value on its own. It used to be that money was based, it was backed by silver or, or gold, you know, actual physical silver or gold. That no longer exists. Right now, what we have is a, a, a fiat currency system pretty much everywhere where you simply trust that that piece of paper that you have has certain value. We, we trust that it has a value mostly because it's backed by, by a government, by a nation. Once it's, uh, it's uh, ironic how something as cold as economics is so strongly linked to the feelings and perceptions of people. Once people do not believe that that piece of paper is worth anything anymore, inflation starts going through the sky and it just all falls apart. Okay. From your experience, what are the telltale signs that people are losing faith or lose faith in a fiat-based currency? Well, inflation clearly is one of the most uh, most important signs. Inflation means that people are trying to exchange those pieces of paper or those numbers in, in a computer for something actually solid. It it can be on, on different scales, on different levels, and depending on which country. In some places, people try buying you know land or real estate, or in some others where people don't have that kind of money, they buy cars or just anything else. In Argentina, people would end up buying TVs. It was just better to have a, a TV, even if you had already four or five, but it was better to have one which you could later sell, trade, or do something with it than being stuck with, with, a, uh, with a number in an account that was losing value as each minute went by. Okay, so from what you're saying, that when this event occurs, that it is – not the value of the goods or services. It is just the means of exchange, the currency that is losing, that people lose faith in. All exactly. Right. Yes. So can you please explain or take our audience through a couple months before this event that occurred in Argentina? What was leading up to this event in Argentina and what happened 
when it occurred? What, what was a couple months and maybe even a year into it? What, what was happening? Right. It was, uh, again, very similar to what we've been seeing these last few years in Greece. And by me, by this, I mean um, a large amount of unemployment. I mean, awful conditions of unemployment. Uh, people just not being able, honestly, not being able to find a job because folks listening to this may have this perception that there's a lot of folks out there that don't want to get a job, you know? That there's people that really are, are not looking for one or they're just lazy. I mean, honestly, looking for a job for over a year and not finding one, no matter how open to anything that you are, there's simply no jobs there. That would be one of the things that in Argentina was, was showing you that things were already not, not working. The debt, which unfortunately many countries do have as well, including the United States, was also through the roof. We, we simply could not pay uh, the, the debt of our, of our nation. And we ended up defaulting in, uh, in, on the debt of $132 billion. This was in December 2001. So as you can imagine, people were extremely upset because of all this. Between the inflation that was already destroying any savings that you had, the unemployment, and all of a sudden the, the country defaulting on its debt, people rushing to the banks, trying to get their what, what yeah. savings they had out of now, I just sure. want to pause you there for one second. The country sure. defaults in December 2001. When do you start to see the inflation? Really start to- uh, immediately. I mean, it's a, in a matter of hours, actually. Okay, so you're saying that Argentina announces it defaults and what, a, a loaf of bread goes up from $5 to $30 in an hour? Yeah. Or something I mean, like that? I could actually give you a, a concrete example. I was... Uh, buying um, a, a drill, you know, like a Home Depot kind of, of store, correct? So I pick up a drill. I pick it up, I think, like $34, give or take, something along those lines. don't remember exact number, but 34 bucks. I pick it up. I put it, I put it in the cart, grab a couple other things. By the time I get to the cash register, it had like double, triple in price. And I tell the clerk, you know, I just picked it up. I'm pretty sure it was like 30 something, not 60, 60 bucks. And we go back to where I had picked that drill up and someone had already placed a sticker with a new price. And then I realized that all the employees of the store are running around placing new prices on everything. Just uh, as we were there, as people were shopping, they were uh, increasing the prices of stuff in our faces. And you could see actually a, a pile of stickers with the different prices of all the times that price of that drill had gone up through that same day. They couldn't even bother taking it the old away, the old price away. They just st- stuck one on top of the other. Wow. So this happens that that happened the day of the default. Well, this wasn't the, the exact same day of maybe a, a, a week later or something like that. But the the thing is that. It, it's constantly happening. Okay. The, when something like this goes on, the inflation is on, on every day, on daily basis, several times a day. It's little by little going up, and you're playing a, a catch-up game because you you have to uh, see how much money you're, you're actually making, how much money you have, uh, and what that money buys, what kind of goods and services that money buys each minute of the day because it's constantly going up several times a day. Right. Now, did you have people in your country that were predicting or forecasting that this event would happen, you know, several years or even months before it actually happened that they were out? Yeah, yes. It, it wasn't of course it wasn't everyone, but there were people that again, I go back to the the example that we have, I mean, right this moment of Greece because it's the, the perfect example. People, I mean, people that were slightly interested in this knew that this was going to be happening. I, I've been recommending people in my website to get their money out of the bank in Greece for, for years now. You know, so there are people that knew this. Same thing in Argentina. People that were in, in the know, they, they sure knew. And folks that had a, a bit of a knowledge of economics, they clearly could tell that things were not going to be going, going on forever. Now, the important thing to notice is, that in spite of, of this happening, just days, and I mean that just the day before the default, the president, the, the minister of economy, everyone went on TV saying, this will not happen. We will not freeze people's accounts. We, we will not take your money. And the following day, they did exactly what they, they promised they wouldn't be doing. So you really have to learn not to trust uh, politicians in any way. Wow. So as far as what 
happens? What do you see happening with Greece right now? Do you think Greece is going to go through the same process as Argentina did? And actually, let me ask you this. What do you feel that other countries will react differently to this type of scenario? Do you feel that Argentina was, it was a country that was equipped to recover from this? Do you feel that they had natural resources to recover from this? And how will Greece fare against this? And also, I want to open the door after that question to how the, how the United States could potentially fare in an event like this. Correct. Uh, the situation in Greece is pretty much a, a carbon copy of what happened in Argentina in, in spite of a few variables there, here and there, but it's very, very similar. Uh, I think that uh, unless something is pulled at the last minute, they really are going to be uh, defaulting and leaving uh, eventually the, the European Union. There may be a chance still if, if the... If Europe manages to pull it through, maybe stick with them, but it's uh, it's a pretty dark uh, situation that they're looking at right now. And now, the difference would be that in the case of Argentina, Argentina is a pretty big country. It is in, in South America and Latin America, but it's a, a massive country. There's not a lot of people there, and it does produce a lot. People are fairly well-educated. The, the national production in terms of, of agriculture is huge. So it's a, it's a very rich country, just very poorly managed. So when you have a, a country that is naturally so rich, you can take advantage of that. You can exploit that and you can, you know, you, ha- you have lots of options. In, in the case of Greece, it's uh, much of a, sm- much more of a smaller country and basically they're, they're looking at mostly tourism as their main source of income. So that would clearly be, uh, you know, one of the differences in which they're going to be struggling perhaps even worse if if the worst should happen. Now, in the case of the United States, we're talking about a very different country. We're talking about, you know, the main or probably the main, one of the main economies of the planet. Now, right now, China, I think, has overtaken it, but, you know, very different scenario. What I see happening in the United States is what's been happening actually for a few years now, which is a... Uh, 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 as someone said, put it to me once, it's a brick by brick kind of collapse. It's a very slow decline, little by little, in which in many ways, and I notice this, many Americans do not see what's happening because it's the, the frog slowly boiling kind of scenario. Now you're in a country, this economic collapse is happening, your currency started to become absolutely worthless. What was the initial reaction after people started doing the bank runs, how did life fundamentally change when that happened in Argentina? What are some of the things that you think people could be expecting when that event happens? After all the bank runs, after all the whole shock is over about the the right. It's uh, it's a pretty chaotic period of time. Um, it, we are one of the things I tell uh, my 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 viewers and readers is that we are all much more similar than we like to admit. We're all very different. We have all our, our different cultures and such, you know, different uh, perspectives. But we, at, at the core, we tend to be a lot more similar than we like to admit. What would happen to the average American? The, the hardworking guy that worked his entire life, saved money, one day he wakes up and he's being told, you know what, you don't have that anymore. It's not yours anymore. He would be very upset. That's to say the least. He would make his, his, his anger, he would not, not have a way of stopping his anger from being uh, put out there. And if this happens to the entire country, you're going to be having civil unrest. You're going to be having massive protests throughout the country. So that's what we saw in Argentina. We saw people very, very angry. Honestly, you know, people that maybe the, just weeks before they weren't thinking about burning a car or, or looting a, or, maybe not even looting it, but setting fire at bank because they were upset. They didn't think they were they would be doing that, yet they were. So you have this uh, period of, 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 of uh, to an extent, uh, anarchy, social unrest. Now, now, that passes. That's very visible. That's very, you know, makes for some, some shocking footage. But that's not the worst part. The worst part is what comes after that. When you simply have to deal with the reality of you no longer being the person you were. Right now you are, you're a poor person. You're a poor person that maybe has no longer a place to live in. You don't have enough money to get to the end of the month. You have to move back to your parents, to friends, find ways of putting a roof on your, t- on, on, over your head and, and food on the table. It's a, it's a complicated position to be in. 
What happens if you if you have to pay a mortgage? Does the bank still expect you will pay the minimum amount? Do right. How does that occur? And with the banks? Well, I I can give you a, an example. Well, what happened in Argentina basically was that there was a a special law passed, somewhat trying to protect people from from just that. Now the the law basically looked to find um, a fifty fifty a solution to it, putting half of the of the weight of this on the on the creditor and half on the person that took the the loan. But it really affects a small percentage of people. It was basically for properties under a hundred thousand dollars. In essence, when this happens in a place like the United States, yes, you simply are going to be losing your home, just like it happened in other countries where this went down. You, you simply, I mean, you cannot make the payments. You lose the property. What well, can you make the payments in if, if the currency is is really doesn't have any value to it? What are you, what are you making the payments in? Well, the thing is that uh, even if let, let's suppose that the United States economy collapses fully, everything goes uh, as worse as it could possibly go. There's still going to be some form of, of government. There's still going to be people in charge. There's still going to be people in charge, not in a good way, not in the good meaning of the word, but people taking advantage of this. They're going to be having a new currency of whatever, the, the new dollar, call it whatever you want to call it. They will have a, a new form of currency of some kind, which you simply will not have enough of. Again, you still produce your goods and services, but the people controlling the economy find ways of exploiting that. Okay, so uh, so they create this new currency. What did you exchange your old – was it in Argentina where you exchanged your old currency in and you got the new, the new currency that was worth less? In Argentina and pretty much all countries have seen this to some extent in, in their history. Okay, and what happened? You said there was a lot of people that were very angry. What happened to the, the ruling parties in your country? Were they, were they completely swept out of office? Was there a major political reform as a direct result of this event? That's that's why I'm I'm, I'm trying to explain that. Um, one of the things I, I notice is that uh, people think that when when something like this happens, when when an economy collapses, when when a, a catastrophic event like this happens then all the bad things that caused it just disappear. Not the case. As you can imagine, people were as angry as they could possibly be in Argentina with politicians, just like they are right now with the Greek politicians. If you listen to what Greek people have to say, they don't trust anyone. They don't trust the current party. They don't trust the previous one. They don't trust liberals. They don't trust conservatives. They're just, they're just fed up of politicians altogether. Now, they're still there. They're not disappearing. In the case of Argentina, the president ended up escaping the presidential building in a chopper. And a new president came, and he resigned the following day. And we went through five different presidents in a wow. week. Wow. I mean, you cannot get any more drastic. You cannot get any more uh, desperate than that. Sim no one simply wanted to be the president of the country. Still, right now, you do have a president. You have, you do have all the politicians. Politicians are like you know, the famous cockroach after the, the nuke explodes. They never go but away. But didn't you, the people in your country, when an event like this happened, didn't they want to have a major reform? I mean, did, it, did this event cause the people fundamentally in Argentina to rethink the way that they originally thought of economics? Are they, did they educate themselves to, in order to prevent this from ever happening again? L look at it this way. Look at it this way. Who thought that you could have the bailout that you had in the United States and people would tolerate that? Who would have thought that just, just years ago? I remember the conversations. I remember that when this went down in Argentina, my friends in the United States told me, we would never put up with anything like this. We would never put up with, people, with the government stealing from us in such a way. And the, the bailout came, and, and you tell me who learned from that in the United States. I, I can tell you, in Argentina, no one learned from that. Wow. They still keep making the same mistakes. They, they still, I mean, let's be completely honest. The, the democratic system that where we think that we vote for someone and that someone is representing us, uh, I no longer believe that to be true. I think that we are giving the option uh, of, you can choose this or that, but we're, th those options that we are presented with have already been pre-selected by, by those that already financed these, these candidates in the first place. I mean, it's, it's no big secret. It's just a matter of looking it up. In the United States, candidates, both Republicans and Democrats, 
are financed by the same the same corporations. They give money to both of them. But I know one of the things that you you have an entire chapter in your book on is self defense. And can you please explain to the audience, regardless of what degree of peace they have or love they have in the hearts, why it's crucial to have adequate home defense and self defense weapons? Yes, well, you know, maybe one of the best, best examples was a was a conversation I had. Well, this was my mother talking with with a friend of hers, you know, and uh, this friend of my mother, she was very anti gun kind of person. She was actually worried about uh, myself being involved with firearms, and and she was talking with my mother about, you know, how could she possibly allow me to have, you know, at you know, fifteen, sixteen years old. Uh, taking uh, shooting classes and such and at one point of the conversation she admitted that uh, one day she was in her house and she heard something she heard a noise and and she thought someone had broken in and it, it almost slipped from her but she said i just wish i had a gun or something to defend myself <laughs> you know that's that that's basically what it comes down to it's uh, no matter how you feel about guns the reality is that when someone is kicking your door down and that happens a lot more than people think. You really don't have anything else to defend yourself other than what you have. If, you know, even if you call the police, the police cannot be there instantly. There's, there's nothing that they can do about that. You have to provide for your own, uh, your own safety. And when something like what happened in Argentina goes down, you have a lot of very poor, very angry people out there. And they will not hesitate in, in taking away from you what they believe is, is the it's what they deserve and use as much force as needed and even beyond that there's so much anger in the society there's so much hate and anger because of all this mess that there's some very ugly things so that what happens to well. people in your experience what people went out and they just attack random people in order to relieve their frustration they you know crime exists everywhere the thing is that when something like this goes down it, not only is crime um, as normal as everywhere else but you have uh, um, a percentage of the population that decides to do this as a line of work. They are professional criminals. They will organize things much better than than most folks think they, they can. So you have uh, professional kin- kidnappers, you know, people that go out there looking for targets. At one point in, in Argentina, uh, kids didn't use school uniforms from private schools because they were getting kidnapped. That's uh, that's pretty awful. All right, I want to go to pivot in one different direction because we talked about defense. Now let's talk about what your new what finances and your job or person's job in an economy that is no longer where currency has collapsed. So were there any types of skills that a person can be learning right now that are would help them thrive and be successful in a post-currency uh, crisis or post-currency collapse? Is there anything that, say, particularly people who work with computers or people right. or lawyers or people who work in offices, like what types of jobs do you think are... are Marketing. Are, someone that's good at selling stuff. That's what's desperately needed in times like this. Someone that manages to land sales, you know, someone that's good at selling stuff in a moment where no one wants to buy anything, that's huge. <laughs> that's one of the... <laughs> It, 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 it's one of those things that no one thinks of, you know, because they think, yeah, I'm going to be a blacksmith. I'm going to be – no, it's that, – that would be one of the skills that's most, in all honesty, most highly appreciated by, by everyone on a, on a small business level, on a larger scale one. Sales. Sales is, really is huge. This is a gentleman who um, was a good friend of our show. His name is Chris Dwayne, and he always talks about saying, you know, this crisis – the current, he, he thinks the dollar is going to collapse, and he says that people are going to wake up to the realization that they don't have real friends, real skills. And what are some of the skills you think that people could be working on right now? I mean, you said sales are great, but what are some of the other skills that you think people could be um, working on right now in order to, let's say, preserve the quality of their life should a situation like this ever arise? Okay. Everyone listening to this probably has a, a different kind of, of scale or line of work or, or job, right? It, what, what I would recommend anyone that's heading this way is invest in yourself. Whatever it is 
that you do, if you're a lawyer, if you are, whatever it is that you do as a, as a line of work, try finding ways of becoming at least somewhat self-sufficient in your income. Creating work on your own. When, when, when this happened, basically you had people that had worked their entire lives for a company suddenly getting, you know, kicked and losing their jobs and getting fired and losing their jobs and not finding another one. That was a, a very desperate, I had, you know, grown men that had worked their entire lives begging me to help them find a job. And I was like, you know, 20 something year old. I, I couldn't help anyone. I couldn't help myself. But people were so desperate. They had been, they had grown used to the idea of, I, I'm an honest guy. I got a degree. I have a good job. I've had this good job for 20 years. Why well, am I going to be losing it? And one day they just lost, lost it. And they started going out there with their, with their CVs and no one would, would be hiring them. And only then they realized that when no one else is giving you a job, you have to make your own job. You have to provide your own. And it can be absolutely every, anything. I mean, I've known folks that were maybe lawyers, accountants, that were making all of a sudden making making uh, scented candles, breakfast <laughs> uh, baskets, or you know the the craziest weirdest thing you could maybe planning weddings on a on a very low budget and and being good at that maybe that got them through. It, the most outrageous things people ended up doing just to create a, a business of their own. What would you say would be um, your best piece of advice to people out there who? Are thinking that an event like this could potentially happen, what advice would you offer them? If you also, in the same token, if you knew now what you didn't know back then in Argentina, what, what advice would you give yourself? Okay, main piece of advice would be to say, stay positive. You know, the attitude goes a, a very, very long way more than folks realize. If you uh, let yourself fall in this black hole of depression and negativity uh, right now when things are not really as bad one thing once things do get much worse you will just you, you will not have the energy to get through it so yeah in a way you know spiritual uh, spiritual um, beliefs and, and religion will give you that strength but you have to be, believe a lot in in yourself uh, that's uh, emotional strength that that positive attitude is essential. If you don't have that, you simply will not make it through. That would be my main piece of advice. And if if I knew what I knew now, uh, probably I would have left Argentina before before I did. You know, avoid it entirely. Avoid the entire mess. Uh, all, all the risk because when when something like that happens, there's there's only so much that you can actually do. Eventually, it gets to a point where. You know, you, you have to move on, find somewhere better to uh, to to live, to go, go on with your life. Uh, I think that folks in Greece right now are are in that position, wondering, you know, should I stay in my country? Because it's never an easy choice. You know, it's it's never easy. No one wants to leave their country, um, but when something like that happens, man, throughout history, millions have moved and relocated and started over. Right. Mr. Guire, I can't tell you how much we appreciate having you on and to learn more about Fernando and to buy his great book and to read his great blog. You want to go to the website called themodernsurvivalist.com. That is themodernsurvivalist.com. The book is called Surviving the Economic Collapse. Now, despite the fact that we went some pretty dark places, you know, generally our show is very positive. We talk about the love and the peace. The reality is that we, we took you there because we want you to know that there is ways you can always prepare and keep yourself safe. And that's the whole point is to keep yourself safe, keep your family safe, keep things going. And I love your idea of keeping it positive. So, Mr. Guire, truly a great honor to have you on the program. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me, and it's been great talking with you. Welcome back to the program. It's Dr. Joe Alton, disaster preparedness expert and author of the book, The Survey. Bible Medicine Handbook, a guide for when help is not on the way. You can learn more about Dr. Alton by going to his website at doomandbloom.net. Dr. Alton, welcome back to the program. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me, Ryan. Okay. Dr. Alton, from your perspective, do you believe that there is going to be a global financial collapse or a uh, disaster of that capacity, at least within the U.S., within the foreseeable future? I really believe that we're, our economy is extraordinarily fragile, and I think that we're one or two 
major events, 9-11 style, Hurricane Katrina style events away from having some really major problems in this country. We are currently on a relatively slow downward spiral. We're having issues, of course, maintaining people's standards of living. Uh, people are making less money than they did years ago. This is something that is really unheard of in America. Of course, salaries and wages have always seemed to have gone up over the course of time, and yet we find ourselves in a situation where that's no longer the case. Also, from a global standpoint, we're having similar problems everywhere, it seems, all these countries that are dependent on oil, Venezuela, Brazil, they're all in a lot of trouble because the oil prices have bottomed out. This, is, have been a, this has been a big issue, of course, with Brazil in terms of it's getting together its Olympics and, and having the funds to do that. In Venezuela, they're unable to put food on the shelves. Uh, in other countries, they're having issues with trade. China itself is now suffering from problems uh, problems with trade to the to the point where I mean the old days made in everything seemed to be made in China and now it seems to be a, a big issue even for the Chinese who you would think would have an extraordinary trade surplus and and they don't anymore and so this is what I think is going to happen is I think there's going to be one event one major event one 9/11 type maybe terror event that could take us over the brink. Okay, when you say take us over the brink, what do you envision as, as this disaster? Because everyone's got a perspective of how it will be. How would you foresee it happening, and what would be the implications of this event? Well, the most the most dangerous part of it would be that services would begin to uh, fall by the wayside. Uh, if what's happening in Brazil, for example, is that the uh, Police departments are do not have enough money in order to put gas in their vehicles. They're unable to provide services, protective services to the people of Brazil, and I guess by extension to possible tourists that are coming for the Olympics or Carnival or any of the events that occur over there. In uh, the United States, we're going to see uh, issues with regards to all sorts, all all sorts of issues with regards to let's say, uh, having enough of the different commodities available easily. In Venezuela, it's as simple as food not getting to the markets. Okay. When you have a disaster and you have this, these trucks that stop and your currency either hyperinflates or becomes worthless, what are some of the first public health issues that emerge in a collapsed economy or a hyperinflated economy when you, you have such a lack of services being provided? Well, what you're, going to ha what you're going to see is the inability of hospitals to handle large numbers of patients. They're going to be, there's going to be difficulty with bed space. Uh, they're going to have difficulty with staffing. It costs money to staff. I mean, some of the higher paid Physicians in hospitals are, of course, the professionals like doctors and, and nurses and, and things like that, and some and people like that. And so I think that this is, they're going to have difficulty keeping staff together. And when they do keep staff together, the quality of a care is going to go down because those those staff members, we've seen this a little bit with Obamacare, uh, are now overwhelmed by large number of patient loads that are beyond what really would be optimal. And so we're going to start seeing carelessness. We're going to start seeing issues that where overworked medical professionals wind up making more mistakes. Okay. Now, when you have economic calamity, I would imagine that people are all of a sudden going to start losing access to very important medicines or they'll, they won't be able to access them as readily as they could before. This is going to be a I mean, maybe a four or five part question, but what are some of the natural supplements or better substitutes for some common medicines? I'll give you a couple of examples. What are some of the common supplements or substitutes for general pain, for headaches? What are some of the common natural supplements 
for depression because you know a lot of people in the country are on antidepressants. What are natural or uh, supplements that you can utilize if you have uh, a major accident and you're bleeding profusely? Let's just focus on those three because I just want to say that in a situation where you don't have access to that medicine, people are going to have to start being resourceful, which I don't think they've done in a long time in this country. So when that happens, how do you address those at least those three aspects of uh, health? Well, you certainly have a, a big issue with regards to what to do if pharmaceuticals, for example, are, are not available. And this is something that is going – once there is a true collapse, there are going to be obviously less places that are going to be manufacturing these items, these, these medicines, these drugs, probably in, the, in worst case scenarios, the production of these things will stop altogether. And so in that circumstance, it makes sense for you to know what plants might actually have medicinal benefit that might be growing in your own backyard. And you'd be surprised as to how many actually do in the situation uh, where you need to treat somebody who has pain, you can, and you would go to, let's say, a poplar tree or a willow tree. You would scrape off the bark, go down to the green underbark, and strip off uh, some strips of that, put it in tea, make a tea out of it, or have your patient chew it. That has something called salicin in it, and salicin is the original ingredient in aspirin when they first manufactured aspirin, which was the first drug that was synthetically, that, that was manufactured in a factory, that they used the green underbark of willow trees for the salicin. And what is aspirin? Aspirin is salicylic acid. So there are all sorts of, uh, there are all sorts of natural products that can be useful for depression and for anxiety, things like that. Perhaps some essential essential oils like valerian to, uh, for anxiety, for example, you would want something that would have a mild sedative value. So valerian root can be made into a tea. Now, valerian is an herb that can be made into a tea that is very relaxing. Chamomile, for example, a lot of people have sort of a, a chamomile tea that's sort of a sleepy time tea. It's it's good. It's definitely good for that. So that would that would be useful passion flower, lemon balm, there, there are just so many different herbs that would have the ability to have a medical effect. Now, are they going to have the same medical effect as taking Prozac or taking Xanax? Well, that's probably not going to be the case. There's probably going to be less of an effect. But in some circumstances, you have to realize that something is better than nothing. What was the third thing? Third thing was we asked about, well, first of all, we talked about... Oh, hemorrhage. hemorrhage. Yeah. Hemorrhage. Okay. With with hemorrhage, uh, interestingly enough, cayenne pepper powder in in heat units of 35,000 or more, the strength of the pepper, in other words, the stronger the pepper is, the more likely it would actually stop bleeding if you applied it to a bleeding wound. And this is good, especially for mild to moderate bleeding. uh, And it burns like hell, but it will stop bleeding it actually i have actually used it myself and and it actually does work now it makes sense for anyone who is concerned about an economic collapse to have some items stockpiled and some of the things that they should have stockpiled are pain medicines of course if they suffer from anxiety or depression they should have a stockpile of their medications they should ask their doctor for an extra prescription for example in case there's an emergency they can't reach them these are some things that are important. And for things like hemorrhage and injuries, things like that, you should have a really good medical supply kit. This is something that we've designed an entire line of. And, and these are the kits that we make are designed specifically for situations where there are no doctors and no hospitals available. And the average person is the end of the line when it comes to their family's well-being due to some disaster or some collapse. So these are some of the things that are important to to have uh, for for injuries. You want to have splints. You want to have bandages. You want to have tourniquets. You want to have uh, blood clotting powders. There are uh, blood clotting gauzes and powders that are available that are very good in terms of stopping even heavy bleeding. You basically want to be sure that you're going to be – oh, you want antiseptics too. I want to make sure that people know that they would need antiseptics. 
and there are there's just an entire list of the various things that you would need. Uh, and one thing that's very important is you need things that would help you sterilize water because if the water treatment plants aren't working, things have really collapsed, then any water is questionable water, and you're going to need maybe some some bleach would be helpful. Iodine is also helpful to sterilize water. Even sunlight, UV UV rays will work to help sterilize water. You need to know how to do these things to be able to survive in times of trouble. You know, before we go into the next question, I just want to let um, our people listening right now that prior to ever meeting Dr. Alton, I bought his books. I thought the books were incredible. Like the first book I ever picked up was the Doom and Boom Survival Medicine Handbook. And it was so well-written, so comprehensive, and it really opened up a lot of doors. So, again, I want to highly recommend that you go, you buy Dr. Alton's books because there's a lot of information that's condensed that's really easy to understand. And I'm not just saying it because Dr. Alton's on our show, but I'm saying it because it's a well-written book. And Dr. Alton, I wanted to know, what are three skills that a person can start doing right now Three skills that they can develop or start working on that could potentially save their lives and the lives of their family when this economic disaster strikes, or if it does strike. Well, Ryan, the first thing that anyone needs to know is how to sterilize water. What I just mentioned, very using the various ways, knowing the various ways of how to sterilize water is going to prevent the majority of of illness and even death in a situation where there's not a functioning modern hospital system. So these are you need to have some of the items that are that I mentioned, the iodine I mentioned, I mentioned the household bleach, uh, even you can even use pool shock if if necessary to make bleach. Uh, and this is one thing. That's number 1. Number 2, you need to know how to deal with traumatic illness, I mean traumatic injuries. So it's very important for you to know the basic steps on how to stop bleeding. Remember that direct pressure with a, a gloved hand and uh, a bandage is actually effective in stopping the grand majority of bleeding, even relatively heavy bleeding. And so we need to, you need to know the steps in which you would use uh, various medica- uh, various items, uh, various medical supplies in order to stop bleeding. So these, these are things, knowing how to use a, tourniquet using knowing how to use uh, blood clotting powder or gauze these are things that would would be very helpful now the, and, and the the third thing that I think would be very useful would be to generally know how to treat and recognize infection knowing how knowing when a wound is infected and knowing what antibiotic would work and knowing how to obtain those antibiotics we talk about that in great detail in the survival medicine handbook Dr. Alton, you've accomplished so many things, and you have a unique perspective on the world, on the way you treat people, and it seems that the average person, especially the Americans, can't see beyond their smartphones. They're, they're one uh, collective mentality or one aspect of cognitive dissonance where they can't perceive anything beyond their, their set limited belief patterns. I'm curious, how does your thought process work, and how do people kind of step beyond their uh, you know perceived enclosed thought process, their closed-minded thinking, and how do they expand their thought process, see this greater disaster, what it is and what's happening, and how can they begin to, again, expand their perception? They have to break free of what we call normalcy bias. Basically, everyone believes that things happen in a certain pattern, and they happen in a certain pattern. They wake up, they go, and they go about their business, and everything will occur in a certain way because it always has. But the truth of the matter is there's nothing that says that that is really the way it is. And when the brain is not prepared for the possibility of something untoward happening, happening, then that brain is unable to function. There's a paralysis that occurs, and that winds up really limiting the ability of a person to be resilient in adversity. And it's, simple, it, it's a simple mindset alteration and basically you have to in your mind just decide that things are not the way they used to be that there is a new normal and that new normal involves certain threats that may 
be happening not only in an economy but even in your own personal life. And when that and when you are of that mindset, then what happens is that you are in more of a state of a relaxed alert is what I call it. Some people call it condition yellow. And instead of just walking around with your hoodie up and your your face in your Pokemon Go uh, you know, you know, looking for looking for Pikachu, you know, and in the old days, that at most that would get you a bump on the head from walking into a lamppost. But now, it could stop you from identifying a real threat that could occur in the form of a terror event or some other crazy, crazy, terrible thing. So it's you have to change that mindset and get into a. Condition yellow, not a calm, reasoned, relaxed alert in which you are more aware of your surroundings. And you can, and you can do this by simply orienting yourself to the way things are. In other words, what is normal, what is normal activity in a certain area and what is not normal activity? For example, uh, jumping up and down and, and screaming might be normal, uh, normal activity at a rock concert but it wouldn't be a normal activity at your local Starbucks. And so you need to identify when there is an anomaly and that person or, or that situation is what you have to avoid or get away from. And if you can do that, you'll, you'll remain safer. From the standpoint of medicine, you have to it, – it, my mindset is actually quite different from pretty much almost every other doctor that there is. Basically – what it, and really EMTs, nurses, pretty much any other medical personnel. What is their goal? What is their goal when they come across someone injured in the street? That is to stabilize that person and get them to the next highest resource. Get get them to the urgent care center. Get them to the trauma center. Well, there are circumstances in the new normal where that may not be the case. And and, and I'm not just talking hypothetically. In Hurricane Katrina. The medical personnel weren't able to get people to the hospital because they couldn't even reach those people because of flooding. So these things do happen. And so you have to change your mindset from a medical standpoint to it's great that I have high technology and modern, modern medical care available to me. I'm going to take advantage of them. But I want to be ready for situations where that might not be available. It could be anything from a wilderness hike to a ocean voyage to you know a, a trip to a foreign country these are circumstances where you have to be more self-reliant and the more self-reliant you are the more empowered you are to be able to deal with issues as they occur and you're better your chance the better your chance for survival hence the survival medicine handbook Excellent. dr joe alton thank you so much for being with us today to learn more about dr alton but please go to his website at doomandbloom.net. You can get a lot of his great books. But your information was very riveting. Thank you so much for being with us today. It was a privilege. Thank you so much for having me, Brian. Joining us now is Miss Lisa Bedford. She is the founder of the Survival Mom blog, author author of the book Survival Mom. You can learn more about it by going to the website at thesurvivalmom.com. Miss Bedford, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for being with us. Thanks, Ryan. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. So our focus is about the economic collapse, coming economic collapse. Do you foresee an economic collapse? And if so or not, why do you recommend a person begin to prep? What is the mentality of a person who's prepping? Um, economic collapse, um, you know, societal collapse, civil war. I mean, these are all worst-case scenarios that uh, we hear about from time to time. And regardless of what scenario we think is most likely, the fact is that most Americans are living without any kind of a safety net and living from paycheck to paycheck, day to day. And when even something as simple as a power outage that lasts five or six, seven hours, that just throws them for a loop. They don't know where to find a flashlight. <laughs> if they have one, the batteries are probably dead. And, you know, they only have, you know, 15% battery on their cell phone and they panic. Um, for some reason, over time, the last maybe two or three generations, that has become the norm. 
it's become the norm to not even really think about tomorrow. We're going to go run to the grocery store, you know, every single day. And that's a lifestyle for many people. But if you hearken back just one generation, maybe two, our grandparents, our great-grandparents, they were very, very mindful that tomorrow may not be as secure as today. And really, that's what the survival mom is all about, not to sow seeds of fear or not to focus people's attention on uh, any one particular scenario, because the fact of the matter is, is that tomorrow could bring a job loss. It could be a cut in hours. It could bring uh, a devastating uh, health uh, diagnosis, for example. And all of those things hit an individual. They hit a family right where it hurts. And we want to be able to tell our loved ones, we're going to be okay. But how can you do that when you don't even have enough groceries to last you through the week and you don't have a flashlight with batteries? So I am a big proponent of just being mindful of the most like, you know, likely scenarios and then start planning for those in a way that makes, uh, makes sense and is frugal. Okay, so if I'm a person hearing this and I've heard the show about the collapse the first time, first thing I would do, I, mean, I guess, is I would probably be very worried and very fearful and say, okay, well, how much money is it going to cost? Mm-hmm. To make myself feel better to do this, I mean, that would probably that would be my instinctual reaction. But I guess if right. you don't have thousands of dollars, you don't have a lot of money to spend. What are some of the things that you can do immediately or on mm-hmm. a day-to-day basis to begin prepping? And how would you, as far as from your perspective? Yeah, it's actually it's it's surprisingly easy because you just think about what you already do, what you already consume, and you. Uh, just kind of funnel that down to the most essentials, which would be, you know, pure water. We take that for granted, um, but it isn't always available. Um, meals, you know, the food that we eat every day, uh, over-the-counter medications, maybe some pharmaceutical medications. We take for uh, granted, uh, you know, cool air in the summertime, for example, and warm, you know, warmth in the wintertime. So just for getting started, I would start with just those basics and set a goal of being self-sufficient for 30 days. And that is no small task, but by self-sufficient I mean assume that no one is coming to your rescue. So let's say the power is out or there are rolling brownouts, blackouts, for example, and we see that happening in different parts of the country right now. Um, How could you survive? If the temperatures are hitting over 100 degrees and the inside of your home is, you know, inching up, you know, it's 78 and it's 82 and you're thinking, I don't know if we can take this. You know, I have a baby or I have a toddler. Um, I have health issues. Well, you're right. If you have any family members in those categories, you need to come up with a plan. So the plan is just thinking about 30 days really fully self-sufficient. And for that, you would want to begin stocking up on water. And all I did when I first started, I would refill two-liter soda bottles. I would wash them out. I'd run the caps to the dishwasher, and I would just refill them with tap water. The tap water has enough chlorine in it put in it uh, that is added at the water treatment plant that's going to keep that water clean. So store those somewhere dark, somewhere cool, and you'll be wow. good. Wow. I'm surprised you mentioned um, the tap water because my understanding is that, uh, that there would be other chemicals that would be in there. It may not be exactly as healthy as the alkaline high pH water. Well, you know what? It's, if we're talking, uh, if we're talking how to get prepared quickly, Ryan, you, where are you going to cut corners? You know? Right. Okay. Um, so that's, that's the fastest that's, way to do it. So. That is, that is, yeah. I'm like, if you're worried, this is the way to do it. Now, I would also recommend, uh, purchasing a Berkey water filter or even one of the knockoffs. Some of the knockoffs are just as good. They use the virtually the same filters, and those can filter all kinds of things out of your water. Someone once told me if you have just if you're dealing with raw sewage, put it through a, uh, a Berkey. I'm not recommending that, but that was that is they're highly effective water filters, um, and there are ways you can make a DIY water filter just using the Berkey filters without having to get the whole contraption um, from the company. Those range anywhere from maybe around. 200 to 300 dollars depending on the size of the Berkey so if you're worried about other additives then yes get something to purify it further Um, in addition I would just start stocking up on foods that are shelf stable and what that means is they can be stored at room temperature and they won't require refrigeration and actually if uh, people go to my website the survivalmom.com there's a whole section of freebies and one of those is one called handy no cook foods 
And that's a list of different kinds of food that you can pick up at any grocery store, and you can begin stocking up on those. And just think for yourself, you know, uh, three days' worth of food, what would I need? Maybe some cans of soup, maybe some cans of chili. Um, again, I, at this point, I'm not a purist because, yes, you can buy expensive free-dried meals. But, uh, and that isn't anything that I'm against because I do that myself. But if we're thinking just, you know, we want to get out the runway as fast as we can, a visit to your grocery store can do that. Just keep in mind shelf stable. Got it. And as far, so, I mean, it seems like what you're talking about, it seems to be logic. I mean, if you are preparing for a storm, you just want to have backup. So, I mean, I don't think that people who are prepping seem to have, I mean, you're, you're logically preparing for something. Providing a safety. And I right. love the fact you're talking about mentality. As you actually list on your site, 13 ways to prepare for hyperinflation. You actually offer 13 mm-hmm. different tips, and you say that you know it's best that you pay off debt as soon as you can. Do whatever you can to save money. I mean, you emphasize the aspect about savings, but if savings gets wiped out mm-hmm. in a hyperinflationary depression, is it better to? cut back on things you have and trade them in for gold and silver mm-hmm. or other things as opposed to cutting back on eating out or another car for the sake of savings? I would, at this, at this point, if someone has a, a, a really high level of concern about an extreme incident, um, an economic collapse certainly is that in, that in that category, when you stock up on food, when you um, stock up on things that are just hard goods, they will always have value because even if, you know, the economy kind of continues up and down and up and down, you know, for the foreseeable future, you can still use that food. Uh, a battery-powered fan, for example, if you live in a place that where the summers are hot, you can use that at the beach. You can use – I feel it's very important to put money into things that um, cannot be that, – that there's less risk. So gold and silver, yes, I have done – I invested in both of those but gold and silver there is some risk because what will have value after a collapse you have to ask yourself things that will have value are possibly like a bottle of ibuprofen perhaps some kind of a pharmaceutical drug you know that someone is in dire need of someone's on thyroid medication they have to have it well what is that you you know what is that worth to them so i see that when you stock up on enough for your family to see through at least 30 days that's our starting point then you can begin to think, well, what could I stock up on that would have value for my family, but I could also possibly use it as currency. Um, gold and silver, I see that as coming into play as some uh, uh, an extreme economic scenario, and it settles down. But in the initial in the initial weeks, the initial months, I do believe that your stash of stored food and pure water or water purifier. Um, first aid supplies, as well as some knowledge. A lot of times we make a long list of things to buy, and it's easy. You go to Amazon and you start checking things off your list. But um, do you know what to do in a medical emergency? You know, a CPR, if there's something, you know, if there's an injury. And what about uh, foraging? You know, right now in my backyard, I have all kinds of plants that I happen to know have our medicinal or or, uh, uh, edible value. So we just kind of we want to build that bank as well. And if you have listeners who, you know, they're uh, they're dealing with tight times, they're already concerned about money, start finding ways where you can just become more self-reliant, more self-sufficient, just with knowledge alone. Because that not only can it not be taken away from you, um, but also it can become just uh, a way to make money in the future as well as a resource for your family. Okay. Uh, I want to ask you about a couple hypotheticals. Uh, hypothetically speaking, we have this incredible, devastating economic collapse. How many ounces of gold and silver do you recommend a family have in order before it happens? And also, how many uh, pounds of stored food do you recommend a family have mm-hmm. if a family before it mm-hmm. Just estimating. Yeah, those are, those are the questions. A pounds of food, um, you would have to – I can't really give you a, a, a tell you a number of pounds because – it's uh, and I know this is, is you know it's, it's nice to say I'm not you know I want 80 pounds of food per person per week or something, but you know among the 30 pounds you have to think well you know we're going to need produce we're going to need dairy we're going to need protein sources, and how do you put a pound on that? 
a pound number. And if you have infants, if you have children, growing teenagers, adults, elderly people, uh, food storage is very, very much customized. I do not know of a single food storage plan that is one-size-fits-all where you can plunk down $4,000, let's say, for a food supply that's going to feed four people for six months and say, bingo, we've got it. Well, first of all, most people don't even know how to prepare those foods. There could be some food allergies, and those aren't going to end just because of an economic collapse. So I circle back to my original advice where you kind of start where you are right now and say, okay, you know, these are foods that my family could eat for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and I'm going to buy enough of those where I could we could eat that every day for 30 days and have that as a goal. How much weight that is, I don't know. Uh, as far as the gold is concerned, uh, gold is, you know, it's, it's been trending upward a little. Silver has been trending upward. As far as the number of pounds, that really goes back to a person's um, financial uh, security right now. For example, you have listeners, Ryan, who can go out, and by the end of this week, they will have enough food set aside for X number of months. And they will be able to purchase, you know, uh, two or three of the water filters. They can be able to purchase a, com you know, composting toilet. They'll be able to hire someone to do some landscaping in the backyard so they can start growing their own food. Um, they have those resources. If you have those resources, then you can go above and beyond and start buying the precious metals. But the precious metals, this is my opinion, they come later after you really feel like you have shored up uh, a lot of these other areas where you will have the more immediate need. And I think that families who have been impacted by economic collapses, let's say in Argentina, several years, a number of years ago, a friend of mine lived there and said he saw people, you know, just within a matter of, you know, a couple of weeks digging through dumpsters. He saw one of the, yeah, one of the most, he said the one of the most amazing scenes was a family with a couple of young children. They were getting food out of a dumpster and they were sitting down to eat and the kids were playing and just how heartbreaking that was. Well, your most immediate need is just the necessities of life. And I would recommend my own, you know, readers and your listeners focus on that. And if you have resources above and beyond, that's the time to invest in gold and silver and decide what you're going to be doing with your financials. And Lisa, final question I have for you is, though our show is about the economic collapse, do you foresee that happening? And also, what is your most likely prediction for a worst-case scenario as far as an event that would require somebody to be proficient yeah. in prepping for? You know, I've done a lot of traveling, a lot of traveling in my life, and America is so big and so diverse that I don't – the only thing that could impact coast-to-coast -coast would be um, a devastating – collapse of our uh, electric power grid system. That would affect every individual coast to coast. Um, how, you know, uh, Ted Koppel wrote a book and published it, I think, two years ago. It was called Lights Out. And he laid out a very good case for the, you know, the probability of that, whether it's due to sabotage or, you know, uh, um, a military strike or whatever. Um, other than that, I see an economic collapse as affecting different communities around the country in different ways. So in some cities with the food, you know, the food supply, you know, being, uh, you know, dwindling very quickly, that could turn into an absolute worst-case scenario, you know, the likes of which we haven't even seen on the movie screen. Um, will it affect a small town in a rural area where more people did not raise, you know, food and livestock? They have bees in the backyard. It's going to be different. So, you know, I, I really believe that, you know, the whole idea of survival, it has enough variables where there is no one pat answer. And I don't want to mislead anybody by even giving survival mom advice, you know, read my book or buy my book, buy, you know, go to my website. You know, I have it all laid out for you there because every household is different and every community is different. Um, but the economic collapse scenario, for that, it's, um, my family, we had this very much in mind not too long ago. And we were looking at, you know, just taking care of our, you know, our finances a little bit better, looking to see what can we invest in. Do we want to invest in, you know, a larger piece of property where we can start growing our own food um, and just kind of making those kinds of decisions, looking for things that we would still have that would be of value to us uh, no matter what. Miss Lisa Bedford. 
the survival mom. I've gone to your site plenty of times before. I love it. And there are tons of great tips. What you have on the site, I think it's great, is that you have a list of you know, tips, you know, lists for people to buy things, what to do. You also have a phenomenal book, a ton of reviews called The Survival Mom. To learn more about Ms. Bedford, please go to our website at thesurvivalmom.com. Thank you so much, Ms. Bedford. You're welcome. Okay, everyone, that concludes part three of our four-part series on the coming economic collapse. Special thanks to our unbelievable guests. To learn more about the Outer Limits of the Truth Radio Show, please go to our website at outerlimitsradio.com. Thank you so much for listening. Want to be heard or seen in front of millions of people? Want to be an expert on TV or radio? Goldman McCormick PR is a New York City-based public relations agency that specializes in traditional and social media placement for law, finance, media, and corporate-based clients. Goldman McCormick PR also are specialists in website development, radio show creation, press conferences, media training, and so much more. Check out GoldmanMcCormick.com for more information. GoldmanMcCormick.com.